0: Welcome to the New Wave Entrepreneur, where we dive headfirst into Web 3.0, personal sovereignty, spirituality, and psychology. These conversations are unfiltered access to brilliant minds and actionable advice that will repair you for the rapidly changing world. So jump in. The water is warm and the tide is rising. Welcome to the show, guys. You know, so this is a special live edition of the New Wave Entrepreneur podcast. Of course, they're all live to a certain extent, but in this case, we have a live studio audience. And in fact, we have eight members of my NWP New Wave Protocol program. I'm just going to give you guys a shout out while you're here. It's almost like like announcing the audience, uh, you know, in the Grammys or something. Uh, We have Neil in the house, we have Nick, uh, Dan is in the house. Andy's in the house. Stephen, we have Ruben, and we have J and Rachel. We might even have more people join uh, as we as we get going here. Oh, and Jared just jumped on. And today, our intent is to learn. We are here to uh, to to speak with practitioners in spaces that we are most interested in. As you know. Part of this whole new wave ideology, the fundamental uh, underpinning here is sovereignty. Or at least, these are one of the, this is one of the words that we're using a lot. What do we mean when we say sovereignty? From my perspective, it means freedom to choose, and it means uh, it means the ability to remain in control of your own autonomy. And there's nowhere that's more evident than in the relationship we have with authority. And in our communities, we see authority as as something that should be obeyed, something that should be feared, something that should be potentially even avoided. I know if I see the police, I try to just not even interact with them. I try to stay away from them. Uh, I try to not even get involved with the system at all. It's interesting, too. And I'll get into, not even to talk about my own personal business, but there's so many speed cameras and so many red light cameras by where I live. I've gotten tagged one too many times in the past year and your boy is in jeopardy right now. Uh, and it's like, I don't even wanna get involved in the system. I haven't told anybody this uh, except my my wife and one other friend. I am gonna have my license suspended for 30 days, for 30 days from the end of January to the beginning of February, or end of January to end of February, because I had four, five, five infractions in 11 months. Four of them were for from red light cameras where I was making a turn on a red and I didn't make a complete stop. It was a rolling stop or because I went like three or four miles over the speed limit and it clocked me. Beaverton is savage. So there, there's some full disclosure for you. But anyway, I think to myself, I don't want to be involved with this system, this authority, you know, I can't deal with it. And, but there's another side to that. And there also is a way of dealing with it uh, that keeps you in your sovereignty. So that's why I'm happy to bring on uh, former detective, Don Carter. Uh, Don was a detective with the Kansas City Police Department. And um, you know, welcome, Don. Thank you for, for being here. Thank you for spending time with us. You know, I know right you have to say.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. It's it's actually a, a great honor to be here, you know, and to uh, to even be contributing in any way to the new wave protocol and even the 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 idea behind responding to the world in the way in which it's changing or the ways in which it's changing and how we can actually continue to to grow with it uh, rather than be you know, diminished by it in any way, and so I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be able to share. You know, I prepared some things that I thought were important in this discussion, but at the same time, understanding where you're coming from and where your heart is and where you're leading um, this group of entrepreneurs, uh, I'm interested in feedback and some interaction so that we can get some real live, you know, present things of mind that that people are concerned about or thinking about and see if there's any way for me to contribute to how you can navigate that. Uh, Where I wanted to start, though, um, obviously my own story, former detective Don Carter. um, I was a detective with the Kansas City, Missouri Police Department, and I had a tenure of about 10 years in total uh, in law enforcement. Started my career as a means of really helping uplift my community. I'm from an urban Black neighborhood in Kansas City, one of the the, the most violent zip codes in the country. Like oddly enough, Kansas City ranked top 10 for many, many years in homicides um, per capita, obviously. And I've always known that I wanted my life to serve other people. And so I had this idea in my early 20s, like, I wonder what it's like to be a cop. And not just wondering, but thinking that I wanted to do it. And being a black man in the United States, there's a certain relationship that we've had, just sort of uh, you know, as you look at it as a macro from the macro view with police. And I literally had to go through several months of decompressing my own ideas of what it meant to be a police officer in order to enter that process. And then discover some things along the way. Um, Got to the point where I realized though, after about eight and a half years that I moved from a place of serving to just a place of surviving. And that's when I understood that it was time for me to exit that law enforcement or that police work wasn't necessarily the best means to serve my community, it wasn't even a real means to do it at all, um, from my experience, and that's because um, it's reactive by nature. And a lot of the things that I felt needed to be addressed were proactive. And um, just a little bit more in depth about that, I I maintained a lot of my sense of self during that journey, and so I never really assimilated fully into police culture. And there is a definite police culture in um, in in the law enforcement field. Um, there's a camaraderie, there's a brotherhood, I mean, sisterhood too, there's women, obviously there's just a different mindset. And so one of the things that I want to do during this time too, in addition to just giving a a general framework for the structure as it is, is help maybe the listeners understand some of the mindsets within police culture and how to interact with that. So my my main goal really is to broaden and expand the understanding of and the perspective of the relationship that you have between yourself and the state. Uh, not necessarily just the state that you live in, but the state in general. And we'll get into that and how you can maintain your own power and authority and really govern yourself in a way that maximizes your freedom. So that's the point here.
0: Let's get into love it. Love it. You guys excited for this? I love it. <laughs> so I told you a little bit of
1: my story, right? And I'm. And I know I don't know if you mind, but if we can have some interaction at the early parts of this too, that'd be great. Because I love to hear what some of your uh, students, if you call them that, um, people on this journey with you, what they feel sovereignty is from their perspective. Teammates. So, that's yeah, what we teammates, teammates, that's a good word. That's a good word. So sovereignty. When you say when you say sovereignty, when you think of sovereignty, I know you gave a, a definition, Daniel. Um, I'm curious if any of the other people have some ideas about what they feel. Yeah, go guys. Is. You
0: tell us. I don't know. Yeah, let's you just dive us. in.
2: Yeah, this is this is Lee J. When I think of sovereignty, I think of it um, synonymously with like fluidity. Um, the idea of like I am a river flowing, and I uh, if I want to continue to flow, I just don't want to be stopped. I don't want to be damned or damned by the system, the state, mm-hmm. or the man.
1: That's a great analogy. I love that. Anybody else? And I'll just wait a couple of seconds, yeah, no pressure.
3: I, I would say, uh, this is Stephen, nice to meet you. It's basically nice you. how how much can I move forward through life without outside interference where people gotcha. are imposing constraints on me that are not of my choosing? So this is the, from what I'm gathering, it's, it's you moving along
1: through life smoothly without interruption or intervention. Yeah, like a libertarian unwanted. view,
3: I'd say, of sovereignty, like, hey, my freedom okay. should be limited by how they impose on yours. So, uh, I think of how can I ensure that I'm in a position as much as possible where I control my fate, you know, you have to obviously accept the boundaries of society, but that's how I think is where are those boundaries? Like what's to do with me that I control and what's out of my control that impacts me.
1: Perfect. And what would you say, I mean, keeping with you, Stephen, what do you feel you are most in control of in your life?
3: We're getting into philosophy here. The, uh, no, not necessarily. Honestly, but- honestly, my deep thought is I'm barely in control of myself, meaning I am. But I think most human beings, the amount of control you think you have versus what you actually have. My, I mean, not to get into, but I literally believe like the idea I'm one out of eight billion people. On a, star, on a planet that's one out of 100 billion in our galaxy out of 100 billions of galaxies. Yeah, so yeah. my thing is more like what Nietzsche says, amorphetic, except what is. I was just talking to Ruben about this. It's like, here's what is. And so my sovereignty and how I think about that is, I think about when I was a kid, my dad said, never cry, feelings don't matter. And, I, and as I just said to Ruben, he was right, they don't matter to what's happening in the world. But I have to figure out my sovereignty, figure out how do I accept what's happening in the world and make peace with it? So that what I think about is my ultimate control. We're going to read Viktor Frankl, but it's like that. My only control I actually have is how I process and react. Apart from that, I mean, I can try to impact the world, which I do, but ultimately, that's what I think.
1: Okay, so I so I love that you went there, and this is actually more of what this is intended to be, from my perspective, is an understanding of what is, is an understanding of how we interact with the world. Again, this is about expanding your understanding of and your perspective of your own control versus the control of others and the relationship with the state as it is when we talk about policing. So let's go down the line a little bit and, and really just dig into what policing is. And so when people say police, obviously I had a career in law enforcement. I'm thinking of the police officer. So my mind immediately goes to the person who executes the uh, the policing itself. But policing as we have it currently, is a really new creation. It's not old in the sense that the way the system works, we have it, um, it's just evolved really quickly. And how, what what I've learned is that even just as recent as the 1950s is where we get the kind of policing that we experience right now. I don't know if anybody was aware of that, but it's not ancient in that sense. It's really very recent. And so in that sense, it's evolving currently. And so trying to have any concrete way of talking about it, it's like this stuff is shifting even as we speak. And so how do we become a part of really helping ourselves navigate it in the same way? And I love that you brought up that you don't really, you know, you're barely in control of yourself. Um, and then I love obviously the analogy of the river, but a river has banks, right? So if you see yourself as the water, there's still boundaries to which you have to move in, in through. And there's other things in the midst of the river. There's, you know, rocks and animals and all sorts of stuff that we learn how to navigate with. So sovereignty in and of itself is this idea of control or authority over your own um, your own person. Um, And when we talk about sovereignty in the ultimate sense, the state also has some sovereignty. But what is the state? That's one of the things that when I was looking at this, I got curious about and. I wrote down a few definitions. So, one of the key definitions that I wrote down was police. So, for police, and I may bring my my whiteboard over here and write a couple of things, but I really love the engagement and be able to just converse. So, police are state officials or agents, and this is my own rendition of the definition, who enforce laws of that state and who maintain public order. And then in parentheses, I put peace for the prominent individuals and its citizens. And so, when we talk about what the state is, you're looking at people who really have the influence and power in a society. And a society is just a group of people who either share the same geographic area or values or something of that nature. And in the kind of world that we live in, this new wave protocol that, you, that you're that you calling for, Daniel, it's like we live in a different kind of world. And what governs the choices that people make in that world? These are the things that I was pondering as I was doing this. And then reflecting on my own experience as a police officer, the things that I was trained in and the ways in which I interacted with citizens. Um, I don't they can't see that on the, the recording, my fingers doing the the quotes, but citizens, all of these things are the the <laughs> this is what we have to to wade through, so to speak, to understand where we stand. And it's kind of it's it's kind of deep and it's also very uh confusing at times. And so if you have any thoughts or questions throughout any of this presentation or any of the discussion, please just chime in because I want to really respond to what is present for you. Um, so if you're thinking about you know, police stops or police visits where the state is interacting with you through these individuals, um, some of those concerns I can actually answer in real time. But otherwise, we're only talking about philosophical ideas. As they impose on you, they become more concrete. So we go to this idea of authority. Right. And I wanted to just give a little definition of that, because if we're talking about personal sovereignty and police authority, police being these agents of the state that we are in. And the state is the political structure, which is really made of either a few individuals or prominent individuals that agree on how they create laws, who makes decisions and whatnot. Now we go to authority. Where do they get that? And so authority is the power to give instruction or orders to make decisions and to enforce obedience. Okay. And so, this idea of order and obedience, and this is where the police agent or the police officers come in to keep public order and to keep um, and to enforce the laws. And as you know, I see that you all are pretty forward thinking and widely thinking people. The laws are just made up, they're just things that people have agreed to enact for the purpose of something. And so, I won't get too deep into this part. But in your country, if you're in the United States, which I'm assuming most of you are, you know we get our policing system from England. And this is just as recent as the late 1800s. Before that, they didn't have organized police systems. It was literally groups of people who were commissioned to do something as basic as night watching, um, where they, <laughs> and some of these people were uh, people who were doing it for punishment, actually. And so when you think about the roots of, why people would be patrolling or interacting with the rest of the citizenry to keep order and to enforce the laws, it has a really interesting (laughs) origin. And one of the things that I was curious about, in addition to the fact that it's so recent, was why this even came up in the first place. And again, this was to keep the peace of those who were in prominent positions in that society. This was to keep things in order. So police themselves, I took it for granted that police... Have just always been and that they've always been a force for good and such and such and such and such and even when i went into the police uh into law enforcement career that's the that's the, the place i took i had a lot of honor in it and i still think it's a very honorable thing for the people who do it but when you understand your relationship to it it's important to understand the roots and so two different places in the united states has some some sprouts off of that root and in the north in the colonies. It was just a basic model from that same thing where guys who were doing night watch that were commissioned to do it, paid by private citizens to keep watch over certain things and to curb some of the activity that was against the law. In the South, similarly, but very different, it was a slave patrol. And so the very nature of where policing as we have it today comes from actually has its roots in keeping slaves in slavery. If any of them went off, if any of them actually... Uh, got their freedom later. And then they they created laws to keep Black people in the United States in slavery. And that's really like the full root of this this organized way of policing that we have. It doesn't do that to the same degree now. And I say to the same degree on purpose, because it is still to a degree that you can see evidences of that. But when you're interacting with it, taking that into account is important because this is where the foundations are. Any thoughts or questions so far?
0: Well, the 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 modern prison system certainly takes notes from slavery I mean even if you just look at uh chain gangs for instance you know a lot of the stuff just in reconstruction after the Civil War uh where they would just create they would just create reasons to put lots of people who would have normally been slaves in jail and the jail uh reflected pretty similar pretty eerie slavery vibes you know um, and the prison population is still today you know used as an economic unit to yeah. create, uh, cheap labor for the state, and they're also monetized through private prisons. And highly so disproportionately
3: black too.
0: Oh, highly yeah. disproportionately yeah. black.
3: Yeah, black and Hispanic. Yeah.
0: yeah. So that so that's that's been and so as you're talking about all this stuff, I think all of this a lot of a lot of times is tied back to capitalist incentive. Which I'm not anti capitalist so, but I'm just sure. pointing it out.
1: Yeah, and that is a, that's a key point because again, one of the most prominent ways of creating wealth in the United States was through free labor enslaved peoples. And so they wanted to protect that. So it makes sense to create a system in which you could continue to to have this be a part of the ecosystem and generate wealth. And so we see evidences of that today. So when you're talking about your red light cameras, part of the, the purpose of the red light cameras, obviously, is to deter people from doing things that are unsafe. However, I don't know what the statistics are, but Going don't get me started the
0: speed limit yeah. It's predatory You're bro starting. i i need to go i'm I'm not going 70 miles an hour i mm-hmm. i'm going like if it's You're not driving 52 i need to, i need to look and see if they can tell me individual because you know they take a stupid picture of you and i'm always driving i have a smile on my face i'm driving i take a picture right of your face through the windshield they say is this you if so you have this mm-hmm. violation if it's not you call us well it is me but yeah. i don't know how fast i was going they just mm-hmm. say i was speeding I have something so, to just add uh just from Canada.
4: Um, yeah, Winnipeg is rife with speed cameras, speed traps, uh, as they actually are, they are traps. And I literally was going just the same thing. Three kilometers. Oh well, three kilometers. I don't know, that's a mile over, probably. <laughs> like yeah. and yeah, uh $180 fine. And it's like, yeah, they take your license plate. It's not a face, which it's is predatory. Cool. It's disgusting, man. Um okay. and, and if you try to fight it, whoever, wh- whichever judge you get put in front of, if you get lucky, you get a guy that's, oh yeah, you're a young kid, you know, he's still, or oh, you're a young kid, like, right? It's it's totally up in there. It's totally. So yeah,
1: you brought up a couple great points that we are going to get to, and <laughs> what I- <laughs> I'm
5: gonna
1: do this. So part of this is one of the things that you brought up, which is your license plate or your license to drive. So the privilege of license, who authors that, right? That's the question. And when you actually subscribe to it, you make yourself subject to whoever authorized the license. And so if you're wanting freedom from these things, there's just certain things that you have to decide for yourself. Or if you're wanting freedom inside them, you just got to understand the parameters in which you are working. Because license is a privilege. Since we have allowed, and I won't say necessarily we have allowed, but since these entities have been created, and these are other individuals who had agreements that decided that they wanted a certain thing, and we have a system that allows for individuals to get into this circle of decision makers, and they just make stuff up. But when you subscribe to it, you are subject to that. And so I want to bring that out to a different idea, one that I think Stephen alluded to earlier. This uh, this idea of control where, you know, we're on a planet with 8 billion other people and all these other elements, the weather, animals, we don't decide hardly anything for anybody and barely some things for ourselves. So what are we really after when we're talking about being free? And when are we ever actually not free? These are two questions, because I would argue that you are always free to do whatever you want. It's just being aware of what the consequences are to exercising certain activities. So when I subscribe to getting a license to drive this big metal machine that I didn't make, but that I exchanged some of my hard-earned uh, whatever for, and now I'm driving on these roads that I didn't create, and I'm interacting with all these other people that I don't control their lives, I don't have any idea what they're going, what's going on, and then somebody decides to get behind me, and then they see me infringe on one of these little Laws that that have been written. What is my position in that at that point?
0: Well, you know, you know what's interesting too is the difference between automatic decision making AI versus having a human interaction. If a human pulls mm-hmm. you over for running a red light, there can be a conversation of, oh, well, this or that, or oh, this is just my CrossFit gym. Oh, you work out in that CrossFit gym? Me too. Oh, da 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 da. Okay, have a nice day. The the camera just like click click click. So yeah, that's really a a, a technology issue now.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But a person created it. And so what were they trying to create and why? And I remember when I when we first got red light cameras here in Kansas City, it was on mostly on this this highway that kind of goes through the city and has intersections within the side streets. And um, it was a really uh, (laughs) highly contested thing. And I remember feeling extreme relief when it was ruled unconstitutional. And so they took them down for a while. And so when I was away, because I lived out, I lived in California for a while and then I moved back and now I'm seeing that they have the cameras again. And I was like, oh, so somebody petitioned and made a decision or the decision makers to get these things back because they thought they did something that was for public safety. And maybe they do, maybe they don't. Uh, Again, I don't know the data and we can spend all day talking about the details, but the core issue is with respect to what I actually have agency over myself and my interaction with this thing, what do I really desire and what do I really want? And so today I want to just empower you with some some different kind of ideas about how to possibly do that. And you brought up an interesting thing that I didn't really think about, which is the automatic execution of the law. So even with, even with the uh, red light cameras, we still had to put people in that unit. To watch the cameras. So it's not fully automatic. It's just detached from the circumstance. So the privilege of license is one of the things that uh we can discuss, but then the other one is the discretion. And so we're gonna stick to having a, a, a relationship or a, an interaction with particular people in this. And so I'm guessing most of y'all are not necessarily criminally minded or intending on infringing or breaking most laws. So there's a pathway. <laughs> There's certain kind of, uh, if you were somebody who lived in a neighborhood where there was high crime and there was, you know, hefty police presence, that'd be one kind of conversation. But if you're relatively untouched by, you know, direct law enforcement officials, unless something goes, you know, haywire, then there's just a certain mindset that I think you can employ when those things come up that give you an advantage. And so we're going to talk about that. Um, So we talked about sovereignty authority you know the etymology of police has to do with being a citizen of a certain area policies police political these are all roots from the same word that have to do with where you live with other people and then it interacts with the state which is a political community in a certain territory and has an organized government and they have the authority make laws and enforce them without the consent of any other higher authority but what is the highest authority that there is and so One of the things I learned back in the day before I became a police officer was this uh, idea that the highest form of government is self-government. The highest form of government is self-government, where I get to recognize how I engage with the rest of the world and that if I do that consciously and in my opinion with what I'll call kindness or empathy, I will actually be at more of an advantage than not. And so when I say kindness, I'm not talking about just being nice to everybody so I might just draw your attention to my my expanded definition of kindness, which is, and I'll just tell you the story of how I got there. I was looking at the word kindness, trying to figure out what the hell it meant, because it just seemed weird. There's so many different things that we say and do that we just kind of take for granted. But what I'm talking about is consciously understanding it. So I was looking at it, and I was like, what does that even mean? So I looked it up. The word kindness means, the suffix N-E-S-S means to be in the state of whatever word that comes before it. So kindness is literally being in the state of kind. i was like, that don't make any sense. English is such a weird language. And looking up the etymology, looking up all this stuff, I was like, I couldn't find anything. It's general good nature toward whatever. But when I thought about where we use that word most prominently in the English language, we're talking about things that are alike. So kindness is literally the state of recognizing that you're in the same likeness as whatever it is that you're observing. You recognize a point of connection. You recognize a point of like, and when you walk through the world with that mindset, now you get the opportunity to engage things and have a relationship that focuses on where your power can actually expand rather than get diminished because you're not in contention. We're in collaboration. And so I'll tell you a couple quick stories. I just got married in November and my wife, my now wife, a couple years ago we were on our way to a concert this is when i lived on the west coast so i'm not familiar with these people and after i left law enforcement i never dropped the i used to be a police officer thing just out of the point of not just playing that role because i just think it's kind of i won't i won't judge people who do it but i preferred not to interact in that way to give myself some some unspoken advantage in an interaction with police but i did have the mindset and because i had interacted with these people who we tend to distance ourselves from, Daniel, not not interacting with police just because, you know, that's the tendency, right? Especially if you have any kind of history or any kind of cultural interaction that tends to be contentious. And by the very nature of police, they are contentious. They are other citizens who live in your area who are now the enforcement arm of the state. And so when you see them, you get that oh shit moment, like the pucker factor, you gotta check yourself whether you're doing something or not. It's just automatic. You hear the police sirens behind you. You, just, whoop. you know, even when I was a police officer, I had that. And so it's something that's like part of our part of our makeup, right? <laughs> it's part of it's part of how we regulate ourselves and survive because we know that this entity has the they bear the sword to enforce the law, and if we get out of line, we could be under threat. But because I interacted with that's called laws, conditioning. Absolutely.
5: Conditions to be afraid, everything from the uniform to the weapons that are carried to the way the cars are designed, every right. single part of that is designed to intimidate and make us feel fear absolutely. and i'll 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 double down on that by helping people
1: understand that when we learn our use of force continuum, so there's levels of use of force, right? And force is obviously what is used to compel people to do things that they're not inclined to in the first place. And when you have power and then execute force, it can be painful. And part of that continuum, the first one, so whenever there was a use of force, if you had to put your hands on anybody, if you shot a gun, if you, did, if you used any of your mechanisms and there was a need to have to, to report it, you had to do a use of force report with it which was justifying or telling the story of why you use a certain level of force. And do you know what the first level of force was? Any guesses? Your voice. Close, it's just police presence. So when a police officer is on the scene or steps in a room, that is considered the first use of force. I agree. Mm-hmm. And because there's something in our brains that react to that, and you're right. I think that was Andrew. It's conditioning. But again, this is a short history. We've all been conditioned to certain, to certain things with respect to this this conversation, and that's one of them. That when you see somebody that you know is the enforcement arm of the state, you do the oh shit, what's wrong with me, right? But and this is where we're going to get into some of the stuff that may be a little more counterintuitive. So I'm on this. I'm I'm going to this concert with my now wife, and we're just riding down the street highway. I'm coasting. I'm like not even paying attention because we're already late for the show. We're in San Jose. It's in San Francisco. We decided just briefly to go. And I'm just floating down the highway. Bloop, bloop. All of a sudden, I see the lights. I'm like, oh, OK, yeah, that makes sense. So my first response was just the acceptance. First, I became aware and then I just accepted it. I was like, oh, yeah, OK, I'm speeding. Great. And so I pull over quickly. Cop pulls up behind me. He does a little sneak peekaboo. Instead of coming on my side, he goes on the passenger side, which is a technique that has been used recently in the last probably decade or so. Um, It just creates another place for the officer to have, quote unquote, officer safety because people aren't expecting it. And so he comes up and I'm just like, yeah, what's up, man? How you doing? And he's like, you know how fast you were going? I'm like, nah, but I know I was floating. I I wasn't even paying attention, just cruising. He's like, you got your license and such? Yep. Here you go. He went back, did his little business. He probably ran the license plate and then checked me. And then he came back and he was like, Have a good day. And my wife, now I actually want my wife then. She was like, What the? Fuck? Like, how do you have an interaction like that with somebody? Another example. This was in uh previous marriage. So I have my wife and kids. For those of y'all who don't know my story, it's it's very complex and has a lot of uh significant issues, but my wife of my youth, my younger youth, uh, died by suicide in 2018. And so that is something that actually compels me into the things that I do now. Um, but remember in this story, um, we were actually visiting her folks. So my wife now is a Black woman from, you know, I think she lived in on the West Coast, the Bay Area. My earlier wife was a white woman from Texas. And actually when I became a police officer. I went to her grandfather, who had worked for the railroad for 30 years, to get some insight on what that would even look like. So my interaction about law enforcement and and engaging with it has that it it rides that line that is the 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 typical um, issues that you think are faced with respect to law enforcement. And so here I am, black man, white wife, two little kids in the back. They're kind of light skinned, and. We are literally in podunk. Like we just about to cross the border back into Missouri from Oklahoma or something. I don't remember exactly where. We're close to the state line. And I don't think I was going that fast, but it was a speed trap. So it went from 65 to 45 to something else in this one little area. I get pulled over. Big old belly police officer comes up, passenger side. He he actually comes to the driver's side and is asking me about what I got. And I just tell him, he's like, Hey, yeah, just coming from visiting family, you know, I got my gun. It's right down here. Just want to let you know. And I also mentioned that I was an officer, right? He looked at my license, stood there for a second, said, have a good day. And then I was gone. I was shocked by that. I was like, what the heck just happened? I could have, I could have been anybody saying anything. But over and over and over and over again, I've had interactions with the police, even as a police officer, where something occurred that felt unexpected from my own perspective. Now, because I've had many more of those, the strength of those interactions comes from this energy that I give off. And I, I call that the principle of kindness, where I'm recognizing that I am like who I'm observing in some way. And so there's not the intimidation. Because here's what happens when we recognize likeness. I don't know if any of you are sports fans, but if you have people that you see that root for the same team as you or have the same alma mater or who, you know, like the same college team, whatever it is you see them, there's an immediate sense of camaraderie or connection. You don't know anything about them, but something in you opens up. Something in you lets down, which allows for the connection to happen. And so this seems counterintuitive, but police officers are people. (laughs) I see your arms going up, Daniel. No, word. Police officers are human freaking beings. And so just like any human beings, They run the full spectrum of possibility of what they can do in an interaction with. They could be shitty assholes. They could be having a bad day. They can be fucking criminals. Excuse my French. They could be all of those things. And in fact, when you look at the short history of policing, (laughs) a lot of them were. The police department in Kansas City, Missouri, is run more directly by the state still, than it is, and it's one of two police departments in the nation, I think, and it might even be the last one now, that is sanctioned by the state rather than the municipality. Because in the early, early 20th century, when that shit, before it really was very super organized, all the gangsters, the Pendergast, the whoever had all their hands in it. And when you see other municipalities, this is what you see. So these are just people. And in fact, when I think of policing, unless you're a federal agent of some kind, I think of blue collar workers. These are people who are not the most highly educated. Not to say that they're not smart people because they are pretty sharp in some ways. But when I talk to police officers and I ask them, so why do why you want to become a police officer? There's one specific thing that they say more frequently than anything else. I want to put bad guys in jail. I want to put bad guys in jail. Why'd you become a police officer? Put bad guys in jail. So this is a simple minded folks who have the idea that there's good and there's bad and they understand the dichotomy and who falls on which side but the question that i have after that is who's the bad guy and the reality <laughs> and the reality is is that the bad guy is anybody who's not like you let that sink in a little bit the bad guy to a person a police officer at least is anybody who's not like you so when i was in the academy they had this thing called the upside down asshole theory that they literally taught us kind of as a joke, tongue in cheek, but also that it was a for real experience that when you first get on the police department, you're really excited. You want to do good. You want to help society, blah, blah, blah. And there's only that few select people in society who are the assholes. But by the time you get through your academy class and you get out in the field, now, you know, the assholes have expanded to not just the criminals, but also, you know, the citizens, because they don't understand. They don't relate. They can't They don't know who we are. They don't know what we have to deal with. And then when you go on a little bit more, you know, it's not just the bad guys and the citizens. It's the bad guys, the citizens and the command staff. It's like now the the government and the organization that I'm a part of are now all assholes. They don't get me. They don't understand what's going on. And by the time you get to a certain point in your career where you're salty, everybody's an asshole except you and your partner and you ain't even sure about them. So this is the process that police officers go through.
0: That sounds like watching so, the, so, the
1: Wire. <laughs> I actually just started watching that the other day. Somebody suggested it to me 20 years ago, and I just started watching <laughs> Oh,
0: man, you really, you really the
3: are in for a treat. Oh, man, it's so good. Except season two and the last one.
0: So
1: if you get what I'm saying, when you're interacting with police, they already think, and even if they're a great person, which obviously the most of the people that I worked with and the most people that I've known, they're people who want to do good for society. They want to help. They're people who have an altruistic way of being. They're some of the most sacrificial people that you'll ever meet when you know them, but they're kind of assholes when it all comes down to it. And I myself even got to the point where, you know, I think I had resilience that was beyond what was normal. And so because I didn't assimilate to police culture, because I had a life kind of outside of that, because I had a heart to do something different. It took me about six, seven, eight years before I realized how, shifted my perspective had gotten for most people it happens within two or three years i literally can look at new officers and tell to some varying degree how long they've been on the police department and it's because that perspective has shifted from where they now see the whole world as potentially bad that they have to be ready for all the time but that's not what's in their hearts right so if you put off a vibe even where you're interacting with them to be collaborative about something or you're recognizing that they're real people that go through real shit, the probability that your interaction is gonna be beneficial to you is much higher. Still no guarantee, but it's much higher. But that all has to do with how you manage and govern yourself. And so to maintain your own power and authority, your own sovereignty, with respect to all these other powers, you keeping yourself in an understanding that one, You are free to do whatever you please. just got to be willing to face the consequences of that. So nobody's actually infringing on your freedom. Nobody's actually taking away your freedom. You are exchanging it sometimes based on what you might understand there is as a consequence. So I know that if I got a few drinks in me and I'm going to drive home anyway, that there's a chance that I could encounter one of these people who are trying to have some safety and order in the world and that if i encounter them in that condition i might have to face a consequence of it <laughs> so nobody's taking anything from me i may not just be consciously doing it so this is the conscious execution of what i'm calling this principle of kindness and it can liberate you through the whole world i don't ever go out into a thunderstorm and yell at the lightning thinking that you know it's going to be without consequence i'm not going to go up and yell at the sky i'm not going to get into a, an environment where i see a big uh you know, sharp tooth animal and just play around with that shit like it's nothing, right? There's a conscious way in which we can engage things that we might feel or have been conditioned to be dangerous that actually works for everybody's benefit. And So I'll give you some more insight and we can go into the question and answer part, and dig into this more, but in the academy, and this is just one place, but I can see that this goes throughout any people that I've met. Your number one job at the end of the day is to go home. That's what they told us. That's what they drilled in our head. Every single day, your number one job is to go home at the end of the night. Police officers also have this, what I consider, uh, I won't get my, my judgment on it at first, but it's a saying that feels a little bit icky to me because I went into the career wanting to serve, but they say this shit all the time. Better to be judged by 12 than carried by six. <laughs> Dang, you're shaking your head, bro. <laughs> no, Let just let this stuff sink in. This is This is the parts of police culture. Where when you see the things that you see in society, just like any other human being, self-preservation is is the name of the game, and I'm sure you could probably relate to that. That's the reason we're having this but, conversation right here.
0: Okay, okay. My question is, it's, it's like it's like it's like the the police body and the state itself is the aggressor. So it's the aggressor saying we're scared of the of the oppressed, and then saying, oh, well, we had to defend ourselves from the thing that we're oppressing. Is it oppression or is it a response? It's like it's like you can you can zoom in as much as you want from the, you can zoom out to, and look at nations and you can say, all right, well, America is respond it, it, it is going against the terrorists, the war on terrorism. But the terrorism is a response to American tyranny in that region for decades. Mm-hmm. So the police policing us, you know, sometimes it's like, they're, oh, I had to shoot him because I was scared for my safety. I don't buy it, mm-hmm. I, you know, mm-hmm. but I know there's training where you. So immediately what's the to only situations.
1: difference? What's the only difference between the two entities that you were talking about, the state and the people? What is the difference? So the Taliban or, or terrorist organizations and imperialistic American military folks, what's what's the difference between those perspectives? Or I just told you, never mind. I'll be a terrible teacher. I'm giving answers. Um <laughs> <laughs> rephrase the question. I'll just say it so that we keep this time. It's perspective. And when you look from someone else's lens it actually expands your own power. And so that's why I said my goal was to broaden and expand your understanding of and your perspective of the relationship between yourself and the state. It's not so myopic that it's just little old me and then this whole big thing. You're actually dealing with a human being in front of you who has been conditioned, Andrew. Everybody's been conditioned to this shit. Conditioned, one, with the way that you already probably think. And on top of that, this extra layer of like okay now you are in the realm of your own people and you have to separate yourself and think of everybody as a potential threat because anybody at any point can do some shady shit like they just can't and so just think of the effect that that has on the human heart and mind right let's see I see some 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 activity in the chat you know, you say layer two sovereignty going on here anyone layer layer two was that Am, is that something y'all were chatting uh, about? It's just, some, it's just some crypto
4: jargon. He's
0: making a crypto uh, joke. Yeah. He's, yeah. Making
4: a, he's making a crypto funny. Nice. Okay. Um,
1: no. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. But listen, this is the real scenario. So again, having a conscious mind about how I'm engaging with human beings in the interaction of defy the police. That's funny. I I kind of get that joke. <laughs> uh, there you <we> go. <laughs> so- It's it's one of the things that I think people take for granted. And if you're aware of yourself and recognize that you're reacting to all sorts of conditioning and shit, and that they're reacting to all sorts of conditioning and shit, can you, as a powerful human being, create a different vibe in this interaction that actually benefits you and benefits them potentially? Power is a very different thing than force. So you got the police force, but as a human being, you have an immense amount of power over your own agency and over the environments that you are in whether you have any other any understanding of quantum physics and all that I don't but I can see the impact of things that I don't observe with my eyes I know certain times when certain people step in the room the shit gets cold I know <laughs> when I step in the room sometimes it gets a little bit like you can tell that the vibe changes so we're interacting with each other on other ways. So I'm, I'm again, I'm bringing your consciousness to something that's broader than what just is in front of your face because this is what's really happening in interactions with people. And so you maintaining your personal sovereignty when you're looking at or interacting with the state, you're always gonna be dealing with another person until you're not when you're Daniel and you're driving and getting, um, you know, tickets from cameras and computers. But that is not necessarily a, uh, and I don't wanna diminish that, It's not necessarily infringing on your freedoms as much as it's just taxing you in a different way, (laughs) but you can control that too, where if you've done something enough times, if I walk across the river and I keep getting snapped at by a whatever alligator, or I see a snake, I'm going to go a little bit different. I might go a different way. I I didn't get any warning letters.
0: They they were supposed to send a, they didn't send a warning letter. I would have been more cautious. I would have put it on, on, on cruise control on every street. I can't talk about this right now.
1: But you, I mean, you're aware now though. And that's what I'm saying. Now it's too late. I mean, yeah. It's too late The lady on the phone apologized
0: that I didn't get a warning letter at three. I'm like, ma'am, I'm at five now. At three, it would have been helpful information. Now I'm over the limit. (laughs) You know, anyway, this is not about me, please. My sovereignty's already in jeopardy. But listen,
1: these are the ways in which we create the stories that cause us to interact in a shitty way other times. Like it's compounding, right? Cause you don't know what's happening in other people's lives. They don't know what's happening in your life. You could have called the, the lady and I don't know if you said her name and cussed Pam out and she ain't got nothing to do with nothing. And she's apologetic, not you, but I'm saying that you could have, and she could have taken that and given it to her husband later. And then he could have been having a horrible day. Like this is the way in which we're actually connected.
0: Oh yeah. And so I thought about that too. Yeah. And I realized yeah. that, that that wasn't the way to go.
1: Yeah, But you felt like it and it would have felt justified from your perspective,
0: yeah. It wasn't her fault, DMV. You know, she's just the record keeper. I, I, I ultimately, I'm responsible for the ticket and for cleaning that up in every way possible. I'm just annoyed by it, I don't yeah. skirt responsibility for it. I'm just like, oh, but ultimately, you know, it's like I did that yeah. when I was yeah. younger. I would have said, I didn't, yeah, I would. Yeah, yeah, you know, but now I'm just like, yeah, good question.
4: What's up, Neil? Well, just uh, like if we kind of take this, this like obviously we have the, the, the camera, of course, that's not operated by anybody. It's automated. But then if we take it into like a different scenario where it's like, you know, you have these these young black men and women or or not even necessarily young, just black men, women, Hispanic men, women, they're, you know, walking through a neighborhood and they have not done a single thing that's wrong. And they they see the presence come in, and then they react a certain way. And they're young; they might be young, or they're just scared, right? They don't know how to react. They might do something that the officer or whoever's uh, engaging with them uh, isn't expecting, right? They're not complying, and so the worst of the worst happens. So, you know, how do you? Which is what? Which is the what? You know, their their life is taken from them. So
1: this is a scenario, and one in which I'm very sensitive to,
4: obviously, but
1: recognizing, again, that this is a story. It's just a story. And I'm not minimizing these hypothetical people's lives, obviously, but it really is just the ways that we think of things prior to experiencing them or having experienced them before in an attempt to understand, justify, but again, broaden your own perspective, right? Is it, does it make sense for you to um, weigh yourself down with the burden of this imagined scenario, whether or not it's happened outside of this moment other times before? Does it make sense to now condition yourself to have a certain uh, disposition toward the state? Is it advantageous to you based on what it is that your aim, your vision, your goal is for yourself in your life? The only thing that you really have any real agency over. And these are the considerations. So again, I'm coming to the conscious perspective that you can have. We all got our conditioning, we all got stuff that's going on in our mammalian brain and all of that stuff, reptilian brain, whatever you want to call it. We all have elements of ourselves that are just reactive, that the pucker factor, the sweat on the brow, the shiftiness, like, but we create these scenarios. So when I'm talking to somebody, especially somebody that's black, young, it's like, if I have a perception of the police officer when he comes to my door, that is contentious in the beginning. And I interact based off of that. Now I'm creating a loop for him with whatever conditioning that he or she has to now interact with me based on that. So he's approaching my car, black man. This is a criminal, potentially his drugs in the car, probably got guns. And then I'm completely clean. I'm just a dude who's on my way to work. And now he comes to my door and I'm like, what the fuck are you pulling me over for? I ain't done nothing. Quit harassing me. Like now, I've started the loop, one, (laughs) by my own mouth, but even more in my own mind. And now he gives me, he starts, he puts his hand on his gun, he backs up a little bit. And now he's like, oh, you got your hand on your gun? Now why you put your fucking hand on your gun? Such and such and such. Like, this is the way that we really interact. Might not have been nothing going on, but to activate that part of us that is operating based on that conditioning puts us out of power. Now we're just
4: on autopilot. Just one last thing, just so so what would be your kind of uh, your opinion as to a solution to like we have to recondition or we have to condition ourselves in a way that doesn't allow for this entire interaction to occur in the first place? Mm -hmm. So now reconditioning is the key
1: and to actually recondition your own nervous system to respond in a way that is conscious to come back into the moment, come back into your body. And to realize what is actually being the experience, okay? Instead of operating out of the story, now I'm in my life. I'm in my moment. And then if I'm being really transparent with myself and I'm willing to be transparent with the people around me, I'm not shifty or hiding shit. It's like, do you know how fast you were going? Not really, but I'm sure I was over the speed limit. Like that's an honest response. And I can tell you from experience with police officers, they don't want to be pulling you over for that shit anymore than you want to be pulled over for it. Especially if you're in a municipal area or uh, an urban area like where I've grown up or lived, they're looking for extra shit. That's the stuff that really gets them elevated. They don't get elevation for writing speeding tickets unless they're in the traffic unit and then you got another issue there. They're going to write it either way. So you might as well just have some like, Yeah. Peaceful interaction. So again, the same way I wouldn't go out and abuse a a litter of bobcats in front of its mother. Like I'm not gonna like prod (laughs) some. Like I'm just not gonna interact in a way that's not gonna be advantageous to me to maintain my own power. So before we get into the question and answer portion, which which I want to definitely take some time for, um, I want to make a suggestion because I keep talking about your personal power and authority and i made that distinction between power and force and so the police force it's it's a compulsion it's 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 a push on something it's it's making i know you probably have a basic definition but when i think about the difference between power and force you're powerful as a human being as an entity that exists and that has certain span of what you can influence and that can actually impact an environment, and it can impact an interaction, and actually it does all the time. How you do that is really the question, and consciously doing that is what I would suggest, especially when you got just your automatic stuff going on in your mind. But conflict occurs when there are two powers that oppose each other. And so if you're interacting with an official, you don't want to question their authority or their power just as a base for your interaction. So when somebody pulls me over, if I start, what the fuck did you pull me over for? That's not gonna be advantageous to me. And I can do that. I have, But if I'm conscious, if I'm thinking through, and if I'm wanting to put myself in a situation that's most advantageous, I'm gonna interact in a way that is collaborative. It's actually something that makes sense for both of us. He wants to go home at the end of the night. She wants to go home at the end of the night. I wanna go home right now. I don't even wanna be here stopped. And then there's another situation where if they come to your house, a lot less likely to happen unless you got some shit going on. But if they did, understanding that there are certain ways to interact. Yeah, I see you am talking about the Chris Rock skin. <laughs> what, what not to say to, to the police?
0: Yeah. I got a question. Yeah. Okay. So what so I would never say to a police officer, why the fuck did you fool me over? That sounds like I'm asking to get my ass beat. So I would never... Okay. Say that, that is a clear obvious to me. Now, what about this situation? What about mm-hmm. the scenario where the police are? Because power versus force, I absolutely agree with you. And I think that there—I think that there is a natural energy that you can put off that will, in most scenarios, keep you safe. That's why you see martial artists who they just, they project so much power that you don't even want to fight them. They, don't, they project a peaceful authority that gives mm-hmm. a boundary and you just mm-hmm. feel like, let me not even do that. There are people that I've yeah. seen who could take your life but are also the nicest people you ever meet, you know, mm-hmm. but that's real. So you can create the energy. But what if a police officer does step in your face? I've been watching a lot of Malcolm X. I'm just going to tell you, I've been watching a lot of Malcolm X. And it just was reminding me that up until maybe like 20 years ago. Police brutality was way worse. It's bad now. But it was, I mean, way worse, like in terms of uh, uh, civil rights and civil unrest over over race stuff. And so if you have a police officer who is genuinely breaking the law against you, you got to square up, right?
3: No way, man. That would be the last time you want it, in my opinion, because you're feeding right into that, dude. Like my experience is the minute... Those, those are the people who exactly want you to do that. And the minute you do that, that's why they got the job and they want to beat your ass. And so the minute those are the most like I've had some challenges a couple of times. And I'll tell you, like being super just kind of not aggressive with my energy, not very. Yes. You know, you don't even have to be like you're not in any way, but like understanding they're the boss. You're not. They can really quickly take away a whole bunch of shit from you. And. One thing about force and power, like one thing, like I used to think about in my job, is the minute I exert power on a human being, like the power of the position, the minute you actually lose it. And so I think a lot of the time, the people on the other side, when you trigger them like that, like even if they're doing something wrong, that shows you're at more risk, yeah. not to less. No win. Well, if they've shown you that they're willing, like yeah, you know, no win. And and you know, I um, I spent a lot of time volunteering in Folsom Prison with like level three, like murderers, everyone in murders. The only thing I wanted to say that I do think is most people who end up that were in that jail, every single one of the men had been thrown in jail from 15 to 19 for life. And so, so it was a real great lesson for me. And there's a lot of evidence that like mammalian brain across all species for males, teenage males, like whether you're a tiger or a human, you do dumb shit. So I learned that most people end up in there from doing exactly that. Like, like being caught up in the moment, telling a bad narrative. I'm all about, Don, Don, I think you said like your narrative is everything. Facts don't matter. Your narrative about the facts and how you feel about those facts is all that matters. And so the minute you're in that situation, you start telling yourself a story. This cop's a fuck. He, I'm sure he could well be. But guess mm-hmm. what? Guess who can, guess who's going to lose that one? Yeah. Not, true. not yeah. him, bro. Not him.
1: So I got two questions, right? One. This is specifically for you, Daniel. Yeah. Do you want to prepare yourself for the way things have been or the way that they are going to be?
0: Oh, absolutely. I'm forward-looking this.
1: Exactly. So, when you're citing things that have happened in the past, the recent past, and when I tell you the history of policing in that in the 1950s is really when things started to get organized in the way that they are now. That shit was just last that's just yesterday. Like, so
0: Literally. Look
1: yeah. at how much thing look at how much things have advanced since then in a very relatively short amount of time. So the way that Malcolm X interacted with the police, those type of police don't exist the same anymore. And where those things are moving is uh, even another question. So that's one. That's the first question. Do you want to prep for what is has been only? I'm a prepper. Is potential? Yeah. Well, new you wave. Pre- but you want to prep for the new. Right. This is a new wave protocol. So. What ways are there going to be to interact with police officers that is elevated from what is now? One of the things that even what you said, Stephen, helped me remember is that it might seem to make sense and it might be counterintuitive to think otherwise, but spending the majority of your energy preparing for things that have a minuscule um, percentage of happening is really what causes the problem. So police officers spend a whole lot of time thinking about the worst shit happening and prepping for it keeping their backs to the door, watching every single person, looking at everybody's hands, not because that shit is always happening, but because they don't want to be the people who, when it does happen, they're not prepared. But what that does to the human mind and to the human heart, it actually becomes generative. It starts to create the scenario so that when you see something that kind of looks like that, now you create the scenario that causes you to respond in a way that is disproportionately uh, violent or reactive in a way that's negative for everybody. And that's why we get stuff that we've seen. Whenever we saw the Philando Castile thing and oh the, uh, and, and uh, even, I think it was Sandra Bland, maybe. I don't remember exactly all of them, but when the, the few that I decided to actually watch, heartbreaking. But when you understand the way that the human mind can work and the way that muscle memory works and the way that we can get in that story and start to create a scenario, this shit just makes sense. And not that the person felt scared in the moment, but they were definitely reacted from a place of survival mentality. And boom, he tells you he got a gun. That's it. I'm scared, and so it's not an excuse at all. It's actually a tragedy. And in my opinion, it's a tragedy for that person who actually executed that, because these people don't get into this job to just kill people for no reason. Not most of them. Maybe there's a couple. They get into that job to actually do some good for people, and end up understanding that they they are in a system that isn't designed for it. That system is not designed for it. So there is something, in my opinion, where we are definitely creating a new system of some sort. I have no idea how it's going to work, but I think that it needs to be um, restructured completely. The interactions that people have with police. Um, yeah. And no, there's, there's no solutions yet. I got some hands. So I don't yeah. know who was first, but I'm going to go. Andy was first.
0: System. Uh, Andy. Andy was first. All right. Yeah. Andy, and then Lee J. and Rachel. All right.
5: Um, I think maybe I put my hand up back when this may not be completely relevant uh, anymore. But I think what I I'm, I'm trying to remember what I wanted to comment on. Um, I I think I got the feeling um, initially that um, and I can't remember who said this, but somebody had said something about how in order to maintain our own safety during interactions with authority that we need to change how we act in order to avoid something bad happening to us. Hmm. Um, Or it was the idea of that. And what I would argue is that most people aren't doing something bad and don't have ill intentions. And I think that it's not, I, I think the whole point of being sovereign is like the ability to not change who we are and to remain safe. And I think in that case, you know, uh, Don. I appreciate your language on making interactions a collaborative effort, but also part of being sovereign is choosing who and you who you do and who you do not collaborate with. So, a lot of um, some police interactions, for instance, let's say someone gets pulled over in their car, there are a lot of um, questions sometimes that we don't necessarily need to answer in order to stick to the point of the stop, or the initial point of the stop to keep ourselves safe, to, to, to not be um, a jerk necessarily, or an asshole, but to also not um, allow someone else, like past our own boundaries. So like being respectful in language, but also like respecting oneself in a way that doesn't allow for, you know, for needless things to go on and on and on, you know, like you can talk, you can look on online quite a bit, you know, and and find a lot of examples of this. I don't know if anybody follows, oh, what's their name? Pop Brothers. Two brothers that beard do brothers. A lot of, what
3: the Beard Pharma guys? Beard Brothers.
5: No, no, no. I think it's, they call themselves Pop Brothers at Law. It's uh the two WAS. I think their last name is Wasaw or Waslaw.
0: Oh, or yeah, like yeah. I've seen them. Yeah, yeah, they're funny. They're
5: on, oh, they're on Instagram. Yeah. Hilarious dudes. But the, like the main thing that they talk about is keep the interaction business don't allow unnecessary questioning to get you to give away rights of your own that police officers are trained to try to get you to do, try to incriminate yourself in some way. And so I think that, I think that, I don't know what I'm hoping to get out of this the most from a, a person who has experienced, you know, being on the other side of this is how can we remain in control of our own rights without unnecessary hassle, without, you know, with, with remaining in the decision, the place of, of deciding whether or not I want to interact in a collaborative way or a different way. If I don't want to collaborate, mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily want to be combative, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I want this to go on or to, to help you out in any way. You know what I mean? So I, I just think that so, that's an important distinction.
0: Yeah. To make. Okay. Set I'll it straight. Set it straight,
1: Andy. That's what I said. <laughs> I I hear you on that. And when I say collaborative effort, I'm not necessarily saying that you're trying to do something for them per se, but you're interacting with them definitely. And so that interaction, making it most advantageous for both of you is the idea because now that you're in connection with each other, you're no longer just yourself or responsible to yourself. That's my opinion. And that's what I see as the reality of any kind of relationship. And again, this is about improving and broadening your perspective about how you interact in your relationship with the state or agents of the state. Hopefully that makes sense. So when I say be collaborative, I'm not necessarily saying just be compliant. I'm not just saying do whatever they say. I'm saying be conscious and cause yourself to be aware of what opportunities there are to make the situation most advantageous to you. And to them again, I'm going to this principle of what I call the principle of kindness, and this is not being nice to somebody for no reason. This is the recognition that oh, we're in this shit together, just by virtue of us of the spatial awareness. We're in this same space. If I choose to be in a contentious relationship with people on a subway train, I might have some consequences that are are not necessarily advantageous to me. A small enclosed space with people, and I'm starting, you know, being contentious, and I'm not saying combative, but just thinking that this us, them, right? So that's what I would appeal to. And that's why I said, this is gonna stretch and expand because in interaction with police, yes, there are things you can do if you just wanted to be preserving your own sense of your rights to actually do that. You don't have to say anything to them. And actually the lawyer would tell you, right? The lawyer will tell you not to. You don't want, you want to just give permission for them to search your car, Like, especially if you feel like by principle, I know that I don't have anything, whatever you're looking for. I understand that, but I don't allow searches. I don't, I don't consent to searches. So if you're going to get a warrant, that's great, but I just don't consent to searches. That's something that you could say. But if you say something like, these are my rights. Now, this is where I would really challenge you. Who authorized your rights? Where did you get them?
5: I would, I would argue that as a universal human being my right to to safety is is kind of like above all else you know what I mean um and again I know the framework that you've described uh sets up this idea that 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 police officers and authority figures uh came together for the greater good in order to create a system of obedience that kept people from harming each other and doing all these other things but you know again you know not Each on the individual own.
1: level. Not on the individual level.
5: Right. Those people aren't even well. aware
1: of that for the most part. Most, most rank and file officers, I would argue, are not even conscious of that idea. They just know that they enforce the law and they do it regretfully sometimes where they're like, it's just the law. This is what I'm doing. This is just my job. And so if you recognize that possibility in an interaction even if it's a drug enforcement officer that's like pulled you over, they have a mistaken identity of your car, they've done something where they think you got something that they want or whatever it is, you can assert your rights. But my question is, and I just want you to think about it, who authorized that? You think that it's a universal thing. So you're appealing to uh, just life and and divine nature and all of that. Like, is it clear when you are asserting your rights? Because if it's not, then you don't even know where you stand for sure. It's just an idea, and you can't communicate right. it clearly. So right, and so the, that's the, what the conscious I'm, place.
5: Yeah, mm-hmm. what I think I'm getting at here is that um, that you know you can't just say like it. This is my right. Uh, obviously, within the boundaries of the law, which was created by people who were put into higher positions of authority with people with money. That money was collected by all of us. And again, you could argue and say, "Well, you choose to pay your taxes, so you know you're off." I would that argue money. that it's not
1: even taxes. Well, I would that's argue that one it's not even taxes. That's
5: one, right? that's one example, mm-hmm. but like, yeah, where did the where did the monetary support to put these systems into play come from? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. You know, and how were people led to believe that this was the best way for each of us to stay safe? Mm-hmm. That's so, a good I mean, question those kind too. of questions come up when we when we talk about these things, and so. When we say like, well, who gave you the privilege of driving well i I should as a human being be able to travel freely wherever I want to whenever I want to for for whatever reason that I want to. again, we developed this gigantic hunk of metal that can put people in danger and you know statistically puts everyone in danger anytime someone's in inside of it um, but you know you know I understand that. The licensure to use that; those all those sorts of things were put in place by government, and it wasn't necessarily individuals like all of us that sat and said, "Hey, you know what? I think that this needs to happen." And what was it? Then? We would like for you guys. Well, there, in many cases, there were incidents, obviously, that led to laws coming into play, like the the, the you know seatbelt laws, for instance. Let's just talk about that. You know, seatbelt laws came into play. Um, and I think also we have to consider the other the other parts that had a hand in this, you know, um, somehow the people that, that created cars that build these cars have to limit their own liability as to whether or not they function and keep people safe while they're inside of them, right? So it's not just the people that said, hey, people get in car wrecks, we should find a way to make sure that everyone's safe. So everybody should wear a seatbelt. That's not the whole reason why seatbelt laws are, are in play. You know what I mean? there there are other larger interests, other monetary and corporate larger interests that are in play when laws are created, when mandates are created, when um, policies are created that, that sort of dictate how these play out. And the people who we think we put in authority to make these decisions on a government level are influenced by those corporations that have the ability to pay them money to create policies that support them, that cover their okay. liabilities. So that's a part of it. I'm not saying that's all of it, but let me say we cannot, I don't think it's fair for us to move forward without the understanding that that's also a significant part of this.
1: That's that's the whole thing I would argue, whether that's, so we use the proverbial they quite often where we're talking about this this seeming you know, clandestine they. When you talk about they, do you feel empowered?
5: When I talk about I they, mean, the, the the people yeah, that when, are out when,
1: all, all the all the all the folks that you just cited, are you are do you feel empowered when you're talking about this? No. Okay. So this is the point of this conversation, right? This is the point of this conversation. Your own perspective is the thing that really actually dictates your execution of the power that you possess. When you're arguing about people that you ain't ever seen, heard, talked to, none of that, it puts you out and disconnected from even yourself. So you can't even interact with it in a way that actually makes sense. It might feel like good and energized, but it doesn't actually accomplish anything. There's a lot of people who talk about these things and feel really passionately about them. My role here is to help you connect to yourself in a way that allows you, if and when these interactions take place, you are coming from a place of such a solid foundation of your understanding of yourself, that you can interact with people with graciousness and goodness from your own perspective, not just so that you can sell them out. Because, again, I will guarantee you that the people that you're interacting with feel the same shit about the people on the hill that you do. Like, I guarantee it. They're foot soldiers at the at best. So you define them isn't defying whoever they, the proverbial they is. So how do you empower right. yourself in an interaction, right? As so a I,
5: a I, I think I should I be clear that yeah I, I should be yeah. clear that I'm not talking about defiance I'm talking about the right for me as a as as an individual in circumstances where I shouldn't have to I shouldn't have to feel like I shouldn't have to feel nervous when the rack turns on behind me you know I shouldn't have to <laughs> feel I should feel like hey according uh, according to who something. yeah well. That- Right, according to me, that's how I feel. I shouldn't have to feel that. Exactly. Nervous. I'm not out. Okay, I'm not so. out doing anything to people. I don't think anybody should have to feel that way. I think if when the, you know again, what I'm saying is that like not acting in defiance doesn't automatically um, mean obedience either. And so the exactly. line, I think, understanding the line is where each person is empowered to to calmly interact with authority without without risking being stepped on by for whatever reason okay mm-hmm. because you're right humans aren't aren't perfect and you know i didn't you make mistakes you said he, you didn't, didn't say th- humans aren't perfect uh-uh. would you say that they are i would ask you what proof do you have that there aren't that there aren't perfect humans mm-hmm. i i don't know i i i didn't say that you said that that anyone's perfect i i was simply stating that people from my perspective are are not per- are not perfect so i got you um, i got you
1: and so again so- i would i would ask that question is like what proof do you have that people aren't perfect and we don't have to get into it right now i would actually say consider it and then i'll let you get i'll, I'll make sure you have my contact info because this would be a definitely a, a, a an edifying discussion because we appeal to these ideas again that are really just kind of off off the they're just stuff like like oh, people aren't perfect, and such and such and such, and well, they out there. Lejay and understand. Rachel
0: had had their hand up for a while. I want to
1: yeah. hear what they have to say. Yeah, me too. Where where are they? Did they put it down? They they put it down. There you Hi.
6: Well, Hi. To, yeah, I guess it's not changing. Um, but thank you for all of this. This is um, this is rad. Uh, one goodness. question was: um, Did someone? start to teach you this or did you just start to recognize things and and where did all this come from and do you think that you can get this message out to all of the um what did you call them simple-minded uh because <laughs> 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 I feel like it's a two-way street you know like absolutely we're is. interested where we want to know we we're we're open to um to you know having these types of conversations but, but is everyone?
1: I mean, there's no way of knowing that. Right. But I'll tell you this, that, um, and I appreciate you saying that this is valuable to you. I'm, I'm glad. I mean, this is all from my, I guess, my own conscious efforts in my life to live fully.
5: Mm-hmm. Even
1: when I was a police officer, when I went into law enforcement, when I decided to leave law enforcement. After that, when I left, at the toward the end of my career, I had three incidences where I ended up, or two incidences where I ended up getting an ambulance called for me. I'm sitting in my office as a detective the first time and I was drinking coffee. I don't know what time of day it was, but all of a sudden I started having heart palpitations and thought I was having a heart attack. I wasn't having a heart attack, but by the time I got to the ambulance, they checked all my vitals. It was nothing. Had another incident where I'm literally in an academy class. I had a leadership class that I was in and I'm out in the hallway and all of a sudden I start having this thing happen again in my body and I end up in the back of the ambulance and one of the paramedics there decided to explain to me what was happening with my body and long story short i ended up reckoning with the reality of what you could call some post-traumatic stress response where for the whole of my law enforcement career just getting inundated every day with this experience of seeing people at their worst having people at, at the hardest times of their life because every day People aren't calling when stuff is good, right? They only call when shit hits the fan or when it's beyond where they feel like they can can, you know, exercise their own um, you know, prowess in any way. And so they only call you when things are beyond them. And by virtue of seeing that over and over and over again, and even in little ways. Like I've been on scenes where shots have been fired or things of that nature, but it wasn't like a major incident. But two weeks after I left, I went reserve status immediately. And so I was, I was just gone. And I'm sitting on the couch with my wife watching a movie and then something happens in the movie that triggers something in my body that all of a sudden all this shit just came up and it wasn't anything major in the movie and I end up on the floor in the fetal position crying my eyes out. And I don't know what's the, I don't know what the problem is. And I didn't have some major thing that happened, but the inundation over and over again of the little things and my perception of people being that the world is all bad or I need to always be ready I had overloaded the system that is meant to make me survive and caused myself to have a breakdown. And it was the best thing that happened to me because it opened my eyes. I would say that was probably the incident that opened me up to this awareness in a deeper way. Because I was conscious of my experiences before, but I saw it more clearly after the fact, after I got cleansed of all of that stuff and that experience. And so, one of the things that I had an idea for after that was developing this program that I called. Um, A peace officer project. And because when you take the test for police officers, it's called POST in most states and it's the peace officer standards and training. I was like, why do they call police officers peace officers? And so it just gave me this idea that at some point in the history, you know, it was about peacemaking or peacekeeping or something like that. It wasn't, but that's at least the idea I had. And so I was thinking restoring peace to American police, like realizing that police officers in the United States. Are some of the most underserved people in our society. One because there's a stigma to feel like you can let down enough. Just as I was exiting law enforcement, was when they started talking about PTSD and things of that nature. So that they were offering ways for these people to cope with the things that they see on a regular basis. But within police culture, it was not acceptable to say that you even needed help, especially with something that had to do with your emotions or mind. And so. Yes, I've thought about how to approach um, agencies and individuals with this stuff, and obviously, I do it on a one-on-one basis as as I see the opportunities arise, especially with the people who are still my friends. But yeah, just don't know if people are willing to. The culture is deep.
6: Yeah, it's so part of people's no identities. Like, there's no like formal training that that they go through that's anything like this.
1: Not yet, but. There are organizations and people and people who have left that are working on things like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're talking about uh, you're talking about a widespread issue that really still has to get some 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 traction in the culture. And I'm, by the culture, I mean police culture. Uh, but it's it's getting there, I think, because they're seeing the need uh, because police officers. I was just reading an article or something that are re- resigning in droves right now. Because feeling like, you know, you're the people who show up to quote unquote help. But then now you're the villain to a lot of people because you're there's just nobody off. in downtown
0: Portland. There are no police officers in downtown Portland. You can't find one. Wow, It's wow. a shame, man, which I don't blame because Portland got trashed last year. So I understand.
1: So so that's the, that's the thing. Again, it's the recognition that these are people that are doing this work and that they come into it generally with an altruistic intention. But then in a very relatively short amount of time, typically just end up shutting down. And if you can relate to that at all and you encounter one of them, again, applying this, what I call the principle of kindness, where you're recognizing likeness, not just in the fact that they're a basic human being, but like, yo, they're dealing with the shit right now. And right now I'm the shit to them potentially. Like, I don't need to change myself necessarily from my essence, Andrew. Like, I don't need to... to change who I am essentially in order to interact with somebody. I'm actually being more of who I am when I'm not shutting down this part of me because I'm afraid or or activated in some way. Like I could completely shift my demeanor where I'm rolling around in the car, listening to music, having a good time. And then all of a sudden a police officer there and I'm like this, like that would be changing. And that's because it might work to my advantage, but I've found that it works best when I'm just like, oh shit, must be pulling me over cause of this. Like, what can I help you with? Like, how are you doing today? Whatever. Just some real thing that allows me to engage with the person that I'm dealing with, not with the system that actually makes them do what they do. Because again, they have wanna, this thing oh, called discretion. Go ahead, Daniel.
0: I want to hear from from Neil and I want to hear from Nick.
4: That's great because I literally just forgot my question. So Nick can go ahead.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that means I already answered it. It's already satisfied.
4: All right. Thanks, Neil.
2: Um, I just... Uh, I'm not really sure how this is going to come out because there's there's so much that I want to discuss on this topic, but I'm just going to give just a brief gist of what my concerns are. And it, it basically has to do with the situation that the world's been in for the past two years. So we've been dealing with mass censorship and just a lot of infringement on our rights and restrictions have been tightening due to what's been going on. I mean, not obviously it's worldwide. and so. I've already learned a lot from your talk so far, just like things that you've said on how to address people. But I'm just curious on your take. Obviously, if things get better, they get better. And that's great. But if they don't get better and restrictions continue to tighten their grip on us, and we get to the point where we have some form of military showing up at our doors, trying to get us to do things, uh, get injections or questioning our medical freedom if we don't want to do that for one reason or another due to medical privacy or things that we've researched in your opinion what would be the best way to speak to these people and try to get them to see that viewpoint without I mean I've seen I've seen videos of mass protests going on worldwide and the protests basically being ignored for the most part I've seen people speaking in courtrooms. And having the officials looking down at their phones or basically refusing to address them as human beings who have something to say, they'll give them their one, two, three minutes of free time to say something, but they'll respond in an almost robotic way where no, like we're, we're not going to look at this from a human perspective. This is just the way that things are. This is the mandate or the law per se, and Even if it doesn't make sense, even if the the person that's speaking to them is making sense, they refuse to acknowledge that. So I'm just, I'm curious what your take is on that and what we might be able to do to protect our safety and I guess what we consider to be freedom as Americans.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I appreciate that question, Nick, and thank you. And definitely empathetic toward the, the sentiment that you are expressing. My initial response is this. This might sound strange. I choose to be safe everywhere I am. My safety is not dependent on what somebody else is or isn't doing at the moment. I trust myself. And I trust that in a moment, I'm able to make a decision that actually works best for me and that actually potentially could benefit anybody that I'm around. So I don't spend a lot of time and energy trying to mentally prepare for things that are even hypothetical possibilities because of the energy drain that it takes on the human system. I need to be here in this moment where I am. All of my power is in this moment. And so if I'm constructing an idea of what potentially can happen in the future and spending a lot of energy, emotional energy, especially trying to gear up for that moment, which is not likely a a high uh, probability of of occurring. And what you're talking about, you know, let's say we start, they issue, they declare a police state and then we got, it. we got people who are coming to our doors to do whatever. I don't know. However far off we are from that, again, there are real people who have to enact this that may or may not even agree with it. And so when, if and when we get to that place, I trust that whatever is going on in my life and in the world, I'll be able to navigate that pretty well. And the reason that I believe that is because I see the whole of my life and I'm like, oh, I'm still here. So I've always been taken care of. There's no evidence in my life that I haven't actually been well taken care of. And so, for me to create a story, that's what makes human beings so fascinating to me is that we have such, a, we're so powerful and we're so dynamic that we have the ability to create stories of things that aren't even occurring and experiencing, experiencing them as if they already have. Meanwhile, potentially missing whatever is enjoyable right here. I'm not even guaranteed to be here tomorrow. So, why am I planning for something that may not even? occur that I don't desire, especially. So, you know, I heard somebody say that not that this is worrying, but (laughs) worrying is like praying for stuff that you don't want to happen. It's like being in the moment and begging for something. Like this is how the energy that we actually utilize works. We are creative beings. We are creating our reality all the time. We're creating our experiences all the time. And most of it happens internally. And so when I'm imagining that scenario that I don't want and then activating the systems in my body that react to that imagination. I'm doing myself a disservice. I'm not actually preparing for it. And so the same way that I think that it's disadvantageous for officers to prepare the majority of the time for something that happens the minuscule part of the time, I would say the same thing to you, that there's no reason to prepare for that because we don't even know what it entails. The way that the world would be in that scenario, I have no concept of really, but I trust That because I've been able to survive this far, that whenever the thing that occurs at that point happens, I'm going to be well-equipped and wise enough and connected with the right people and interactive enough that I'll make it just fine and I'll know what to do when it's time. And that kind of mindset is really what I'm talking about here. It's getting out of our heads, so to speak, and into the moment because that is where all of your presence and power actually is. Anything else is just conjecture or it's just hypotheticals or it's just imagination. And the imagination is powerful. It's probably one of the most powerful aspects of what we are because it creates our experiences. But I just think it's not advantageous to project that into a future, especially one that I don't want and then try to live that today. You see what I mean? Yeah. So I I know it's not a direct answer. It's not a practical answer, in the sense that it's telling you like, if this, then this. But when you learn how to recondition your own nervous system to actually live in a way that you feel good about, then you get to you get to live free, in my opinion. It's like I'm not subject to anything that I don't want to be subject to. I'm just not.
2: Yeah, I, I totally get that. It's you're you're trusting your your own intuition and just looking historically that everything that I've been through, I've made it through. And it's it's basically just that that trust and that that faith in whatever you have faith in, maybe a, a higher power or even just yourself and your past experiences that give you the it's it's like a relaxing warmth that you'll be able to make it through whatever happens.
1: yeah, we're it's, it's going to be okay. Yeah. I just get to be okay today too. I'm not trying to not be okay while I'm anticipating not being okay later. Yeah, I really appreciate your insight on that.
4: Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure, man. Thank you. Neil. Neil, you remember your question yet? Yeah, I got it. So actually, you brought it up. So what are some, I mean, this might be actually a part of your program, but what would be some practical solutions to recondition ourselves to make sure we are not so reactive? We are in the moment so we can just see everything and react the way we need to react so that We're not going into a direction we don't wanna go.
6: Mm -hmm.
4: Yeah, and the language that you use there
1: is very important. To react in a way that you need to react or react in a way that you want
4: to react? Mm, Need, need. And what are your needs based on? So I don't want to react in a way that will cause uh, egos to flare or anything, any contentious energies to come forth just to, okay, I can assess this is what's happening now. I don't want to go that way. I want us to go this way. So mm-hmm. I know for a fact I'm very reactive in general.
1: So when do you about, get most reactive?
4: What, what 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 sparks your reactions the most? Oh uh, man, anything political in nature that I feel really uh, passionately, like political, um, so social, anything social, political um, in nature where you know because i'm quite like i'm just going to put it all on the table like, i'm i'm almost you could you you could almost call me a communist except for the fact that i like capitalism so it's like what you're not a, but the communist ideal the marxist ideal i believe that's super important in the society maybe not the most uh, extreme aspects of it because yeah obviously that can kind of go the wrong way we've seen it historically it can definitely go the wrong way but i think the good parts of it, it sounds kind of like I'm cherry picking, but if, no, we it's can, all good. if we can take the good parts of it, remove the rest and what we have right now, remove the, the bad parts, take the good parts and, you know, kind of hybridize it. I'm how do, really how try, do
1: you intend on it? How do you intend on influencing that?
4: Well, I like to think about systems just because that's probably the way my business is probably going to go systems. But More, more so related to crypto and blockchain systems, and implementing those systems that way. I just feel like you know the way the world is going. It's like everything is out of control. But because humans are influencing it, there's there's a group of humans that we know that are influencing everything. We can't. They're basically untouchable. However, there there are outside there are systems that are outside of the system that we have created that may be able to infiltrate without actually infiltrating anything. And that's kind of how I'm thinking about it. Yeah, That
1: to me sounds very unclear.
0: It is unclear. Something is. something was said. Something was said. I, I heard it.
1: Yes. <laughs> I did hear it. Yeah. He said a lot, but it's very unclear. This, My, my point of pointing that out is that, and I'm, I'll say this with as much love as you can receive, yeah. is that yeah, yeah, you definitely. don't know what you're talking about. I and don't, that's okay. Don't. And that's totally okay. <laughs> Whenever we're talking about shit that has to do with then and others and the insidious folks that like all of this shit is just imaginary. And that's okay. And it's actually good. And so the acceptance of that yourself is the first thing. Recognizing, sitting there taking a deep breath, activating your body. You live in your body. All the experiences that you are having are happening in your body. You don't have to know all the ins and outs of the neuroscience. You don't have to know all the ins and outs of everything, but you understand that your experience on this planet is happening in there. So one of the things you can do is just get a quick dose of reality. Take a huge, deep breath, hold that joint, and just open your eyes and look around. Be like, oh shit, I'm here. Okay, so now that I'm here, what do I know? And one of the biggest, most liberating moments in my life, it was when I was still a police officer. But I went down this rabbit hole. It was, it was daunting for me to go through it. It felt like my world was crashing around me. But the reality that I was coming to grips with was that I didn't know shit. So I gave up my acting like I knew shit I didn't know. I don't know very much about anything that's outside of my view. I don't know anything about God. I don't know anything. I barely know shit about myself. Like So again, I'm reckoning with the reality of my experience. And when you get into alignment with that truth, Something magical happened is where all of a sudden when I recognize that I don't know anything, I'm open to actually receiving what is there. And then my knowledge actually increases because I go through actual experiences rather than just what's in my imagination. So this is what I tell people all the time is that if you're imagining shit that causes you distress and you know you're making it up anyway, why not just make up stuff that is actually uh, what you like? If I'm making up a story anyway, let me make up one that actually feels
4: good. I would like to add, I would like to add, this is something that I do like to think about. I love thinking about this stuff. Okay. So political and all that garbage aside. Yeah, that's all there. However, I do like mm-hmm. female systems because I actually think systems can improve people's lives. I mean, when we talk about yeah. blockchain and crypto, it's a completely decentralized system. And man, the banks and everybody, all the head honchos are like, hey, what the fuck are they doing over there? And it's like, yeah, we got this mm-hmm. over here and we're building it over here for ourselves. And we're going to do it over here without y'all help.
1: Um, so I want you to I want you to notice something when you go back and watch this recording. If Is this recording available to them, Daniel? If you, can, if you have the opportunity to watch this recording, I want you to go to this part. And I want you to look at yourself when you're asking the question at the beginning and look at your demeanor. And then I want you to look at your demeanor at the point that we were just talking about just then. You came alive. And so you went into creative mode at that point. You're like, I actually do like thinking about this, but not because I'm worried about all the shit, the doom and gloom and all this other stuff. It's because I'm creating. And that's actually what's up. When you get into the creative mode, you're actually creating stuff. But here's the thing. When you get into the doom and gloom imagination, you're actually creating stuff. Your body doesn't know the difference between what you're experiencing and what you're imagining. So when you reckon with that now, just think about the shit that you want to create and create that instead of worrying about shit you obviously know you don't know. But then when you think about it, it feels scary or feels limiting or feels Overwhelming, or makes you just want to go run and hide, or fight somebody, or whatever stuff that's not going to be in alignment with the vision that you have for your highest self. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Thank you. Appreciate that. Right on, y'all. Any
0: thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I could go. I could go on a a few different paths, but yeah, I mean, I think we can cap it. How do How do you want to cap it, Don?
1: Well, man, I mean, this has been a pleasure, honestly. You know, this subject can go on forever, really. And that's due to several aspects of what we talked about, that it hits, you know, the foundations of our society, our interactions with each other, our interactions with ourselves, you know, talking about things that we can't touch often leaves us feeling powerless. So bringing the conversations back to, all right, what can I do right here, right now in this skin, in this moment, in my opinion, is the best way to maintain your personal sovereignty because you don't get out of what you would think is the highest truth and that is that you are in control of what you're in control of you know the span of what you can actually impact and then just deciding to expand that by trusting yourself and trusting that you're going to be good regardless of what occurs on the outside and so when i decide to be safe everywhere i am it has to be from within it's not dependent on what it, what who i interact with as a as a police officer the government you know evil corporations or the proverbial they it's just bringing it right back to Actually, who I am, and then that actually gives you the opportunity to build solid connections with people. Community and communities are what actually build societies. And so, if we're talking about the new wave, the things that are coming, and again, that that idea of a wave is water that's building up power and moving across a, a, a landscape. There's waves. There's eras. There's things that occur that we don't know what they are before they come, and then when we look at them in retrospect, we get even deeper insight. So learning to fucking love the ride on this new wave surfing, I'm not a surfer, but when I see that shit, I'm like, yo, that looks fun. You know, they're just kind of waiting for a minute till they see the thing coming and they're like, oh yeah, let's go. It's exhilarating in the moment. There's no way to ride a wave of the future or of the past. And so my best encouragement with respect to maintaining the sense of your power and the authority that you have over your own life is to practice living in the moment. And yeah, you got plans that you make, you got intentions that you have, but realize that you're creating it as you go. And so, anything you imagine about some future thing that you don't like, just let that shit go. Because one, it's not real yet, and two, it's not helping you to think about it right now as much. Like I get it, I get prepping because I see your your wheels turning, Daniel. But where all of the the opportunity is is right here in what you're aware of right now. Because we're creating a new world essentially. All the stuff with crypto, even what psychedelics are opening up for us, it's a consciousness that we weren't aware of previously. And it's all new shit. And I think it's happening exponentially because 50 years ago, the world looked vastly different than it does now. And we've seen the changes happen even more frequently. And so the next five years is going to be stuff that we couldn't even conceive of today. So riding the wave now in a manner that allows you to maximize all of the stuff that you have present with you and govern yourself in the highest way, I think gives us the best opportunity to create the kind of world that we actually want rather than seeing ourselves as a potential subject to the things that are imposing on us. When they impose, then we'll know what to do because we're very wise and strong and powerful beings, just like the people who are creating that other shit.
0: Yeah, I'm with you, man. I think um, even if you just think about your ability to create things as like a, a unit of energy. You know, you have a finite mm-hmm. number of units of attention. Let's call it. And if you need a certain number of units of attention to create something that you're trying to do in the right here now, but you're exerting so much of your units of attention on things in the future or the past, you just yeah. by nature of volume have less, fewer units of attention to devote to the thing you're trying to create in the now, and then it can't move to the next stage. uh right. and We, you know, and so right. we spend a lot of our emotional energy on things that have happened and we keep like looping it we keep looping it so if you get let's talk let's talk about the context of police because we we're talking about you know how we carry ourselves creates what we receive and i believe that and mm-hmm. sometimes you also do get into situations where you get fucked up and that creates then you have to not then keep looping the past if you've had a bad interaction mm-hmm. with the police you have to be mm-hmm. able to then have a reset with your with your relationship of how you're relating to them Because just they Mm -hmm. might not be perceiving you in any type of criminal way, but if you've had a bad interaction because of whatever else happened in the past, now you have to be able to reset that relationship. Yeah. You know,
1: what's key about that is that you don't even have to have the actual experience, but to even view it. I never had a negative interaction with police growing up as a kid, but when I thought about becoming a police officer, it took me three months of decompressing this mental image of what it meant to interact with police. And so, I literally had to go through a transformation in order to even feel oh, yeah. okay enough to step into it. So it wasn't even my experiences, this shit that I heard or things that I actually yep. saw maybe from a distance. And so even just what we inundate our minds with gives us information that we're working from. And so we can condition ourselves in the same stuff. And so again, one of the things that one of the the practical things that I did when I was a detective, especially, because I, the newsroom was calling every day, they literally called it, it was probably every other day, and they were like, "Yo, you got any news? You got any news?" They were just eager to put something out there, whether it was complete or whatever. Like they weren't trying to put out lies, but they just wanted something that they could hold people's attention or maybe make them afraid. I'm not sure about that, but I'm sure it was about attention more than anything. And it made me realize that I didn't need to watch the news, not in not the especially not primetime news because. It seems to have a different purpose. And when I took that break, I started to feel that stuff trickle down, like the the sense of constant angst. And so now, after years of doing that, I can look at
0: the news in a way that is not as attached to it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so I'm objective well, could, in a yeah. way. Mm-hmm. It's actually entertaining to watch the news from that perspective, you know, mm-hmm. when you watch it and, but you watch it as an outsider, not feeling like you're part of that story. You're just watching it like, yeah. like it's a TV story, like yeah. it's a comedy, central it's fascinating. You say, oh, that's hilarious. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and then you see, oh, this is, you know, your kid could be dying more at 11. And you're like, I gotta stay up till 11. You stay up till 11. And it's like, <laughs> oh, well, you know, there's a rare paint that's sold in one store uh, that had some lead in it, but it was recalled. So it's okay.
1: I can get it. Get on this phone right now. Yeah. America's calling in sick this week. <sighs> yeah. My goodness. Judge gives chilly response to January 6th. Defendant Jamaican vacation request. What? Like, oh, who yeah. cares? And it, it's just oh, weird yeah. stuff, but the way that it's worded. And so, again, that's just about what we ingest. And so if you feel like there's an angst in you that's present most of the time, look at what you're ingesting. Mm-hmm. And again, if it's not in alignment with what, you, with what you want to create in your life and in the world, then it might be okay
0: to let it go. Quality over quantity, for sure. Especially with you know, there's no shortage of uh, opportunity to consume anything nowadays. Right. Whether it's right. content, food, uh, you know. Um, so what does, you know, you? what does that tell you? Anything. What does that tell you? We've got, we've become gluttonous. We're we've, we we over. Our cup spilleth over. Exactly.
1: You know that's what that tells you that the world that life is abundant. It's
0: very abundant.
1: There's not a you scarcity know? Now it's a paradox of, anything. of choice.
5: Right. There's now it's what do I scarce. pick?
1: Right. Nothing scarce. Nothing's scarce. So there's you abundance know? of everything. So let's indulge in the things that actually are in alignment with the life that we want to create and oh yeah.
0: Ride this, ride this wave. I think now is the only time that's possible. I think that, you know, if it had been even a hundred years earlier, it would have been so much harder to have this mindset of overall optimism in the pit of shit, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Uh the only thing that's going to save us is this type of, uh, you know, communication with each other and then also hopefully some technology and, uh, you know, but yeah, let's ride, let's ride the wave, you know? Yeah. I love let's it. Let's go vibrations. Thank you.
1: Thank you for having me on here, brother. I really appreciate you. And it's been an honor to be able to share, It's been an honor to be able to hear. So, yeah, I
0: love it. Thank you to former detective Don Carter. Uh, thank you to thank you, Don. members of the new wave protocol. Thank you, we thank, thank you, you guys man. for being here. Uh, Dan, Lee, Dan, Rachel, Andrew, Jared, Nick, Stephen, Neil, uh, Ruben, who logged off early. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you as always. This is uh, my contribution for the week. My friends, this has been another episode of the new wave entrepreneur podcast. That's right. You forgot you were on the show. Uh, just so you guys know. Uh, we have a new workshop coming up. It's happening January 27th, which is a Thursday, and it's called Money Moves. It's all about uh, saving, growing, and uh, saving on, sa- saving money, growing it within, through investment, and saving on taxes. So it's all about uh, you know just just handling your money uh, for entrepreneurs and professionals. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Make sure you are uh, checking that out at newwaveentrepreneur.com new forward slash workshop. Uh, And that's all I got for you today. Catch you on the flip side. The water is warm and the tide is rising. It's time to serve this new wave.